We're going to do our best to make this a quick one. Well, it's been quick for the last several days. We've got the your authoritarian boss, your new boss. That's chapter five of the authoritarian moment, which we will be reading from, how the left weaponized America's institutions against dissent by one Ben Shapiro. So I want to just take a moment before I get started to invite some people to the podcast. So, um, and if you're listening, you can also invite other people as well. And if I can send an update. It's like, come listen. Come listen to the show. Let's see here. Alright, so now it's time to begin our reading. This is Chapter 5, Your Authoritarian Boss. In December of 2020, I received an email from a fan. Fan explained that she worked at a Fortune 50 company, a company that had quotas on who they want to hire and put into position of leadership based solely on skin color. At a company meeting, this fan voiced her opinion that the company should not support programs rooted in racial composition. Quote, all five of the participants in the meeting immediately called my manager and their managers to voice deep concerns. She related, my manager asked if I was still a good fit and I came close to losing my job. Her question, she wrote, was simple. Should I immediately start looking for another role outside of the company? I receive these sorts of emails daily, multiple times a day, in fact. Over the past two years, the velocity of such emails increased at an arithmetic rate. Whenever we open the phone lines on my radio show, the board's filled with employees concerned that mere expressions of dissent will cost them their livelihood and their right to be worried. America's corporations used to be reliably apolitical. If anything, the business world trended towards conservatism. From 2000 to 2017, executives at big public companies gave overwhelmingly to Republicans, according to National Bureau of Economic Research. 18.6% of CEOs routinely donated to Democrats, while 57.7% donated to Republicans. Yet over time, while the percentage of Republican CEOs remained far higher than that of Democratic CEOs, more and more CEOs began preferring political neutrality to Republican giving. And the disparity between the Republicans and Democrats in the West and Northeast, read California and New York, is far lower than in other regions of the country with those who are neutral comp comprising a heavy percentage. Now, today's corporations are bastions of authoritarian leftism. During the Black Lives Matter summer, nearly every major corporation in America put out a statement decrying systematic American racism mirroring the priorities of the woke left. What's more, nearly all of these corporations put out internal statements effectively warning employees against dissent. Walmart, historically a Republican-leading corporation, put out a letter from Doug McMillan pledging to help replace the structures of systemic racism and build in their place frameworks of equity and justice that, re that solidify our commitment to the belief that, without questions, Black Lives Matter. McMillan pledged more minority hiring. 
listening, learning, and elevating the voices of our blacks and African-American associates, and spending $100 million to provide counsel across Walmart to increase understanding and improve efforts that promote equity and address the structural racism that persists in America. The fact that Walmart had to close hundreds of stores due to the threat of BLM looting went unmentioned. Major corporations tripped over themselves to issue public statements denouncing racism and, more broadly, America's supposed systemic racism. Many of the corporations pledged to fund their own quasi-religious indulgences which would alleviate their supposed complicity in the racist system. Tim Cook of Apple issued a letter stating that America's racist past is still present today, not only in the form of violence, but in the everyday experience of deeply rooted discrimination and offered funding for the Equal Justice Initiative, a progressive organization that blames historic racism for nearly every modern ill. Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft, issued a letter stating, it's incumbent upon us to use our platforms, our resources, to drive systemic change. The company stated that it would spend $150 million on diversity inclusion investment, aiming to double the number of black and African people managers senior individual contributors and senior leaders in the United States by 2025. Netflix issued a statement commanding to be silent is to be complicit and pledged $100 million to build economic opportunity for black communities. That commitment followed CEO Reed Hastings announcing he would donate $120 million to black colleges. Even the most tangential and irrelevant companies chimed in. Ice cream companies Ben and Jerry's issued a statement, We must dismantle white supremacy. What happened to George Floyd was not the result of a bad apple. It was the predictable consequence of racist and prejudiced system and culture that has treated black bodies as the enemy from the beginning. And it would be remiss to not mention that Gushers partnered, by, partnered with Fruit by the Foot to fight systemic racism, trumpeting, We stand with those fighting for injustice. These statements and actions weren't merely meaningless public breastfeeding. Corporations began taking internal actions to cram down the radical left's viewpoint on American systemic racism. Corporation after corporation mandated so-called diversity training for employees. Training that often included admonitions about the evils of whiteness and the prevalence of societal white supremacy. dissent from this orthodoxy could be met with suspension or firing. Employees at Cisco lost their jobs after writing All Lives Matter and that phrase Black Lives Matter fosters racism. Sacramento Kings broadcaster Grant Napier lost his job for tweeting All Lives Matter. Leslie Neal Boylan, Dean of University of Massachusetts Lowell Nursing School, lost her job after stating Black Lives Matter, but also Everyone's Life Matters, which, after all, is the hallmark of nursing. An employee at B&H Photo lost his job for writing, I cannot support the organization called Black Lives Matter until it clearly states that all life matters equally, regardless of race, ethnicity, religion, or creed, then denounce any acts of violence that is happening in their name. In the meantime, 
I fully support the wonderful organization called America, where every life matters, e pluribus unum. Even corporate heads weren't immune from the pressure. CrossFit CEO Greg Glassman was forced to resign from his company after controversial comments about George Floyd. Two officials from the Poetry Foundation stepped down after their pro-BLM statement was considered too mealy-mouthed. The editor-in-chief of Bon Appetit was forced out after an old photograph circulated of him dressed in a Puerto Rican garb. To be clear, none of these corporations, all beneficiaries of a free market in hiring, firing, and customer base, actually believe that America is systemically racist. In the same way the authoritarian leftists mean. These corporations merely mirror what most Americans think they can hear when they hear the term systemic racism. That racism still exists, and they say that black lives matter because, of course, black lives do matter. But the very term black lives matter is semantically overloaded. It's unclear when used whether it signifies it signifies a belief in the value of black lives, undeniable, the evils of an American system that supposedly devalues black lives today, an extreme notion lacking serious evidence, or support for the Black Lives Matter organization, which pushes actual Marxist, Marxist radicalism. Corporations then merely do what they do in order to make money, as always, and herein lies the problem. As we've examined, the authoritarian left believes that America's systemic racism is evident in every aspect of American society, that all inequalities of American life are traceable to fundamental inequities in the American system. That means for the authoritarian leftists who promote the systemic racism, lie, systemic racism is evidenced by the simple presence of successful corporations. Successful corporations in supporting the notion that America is systemically racist are chipping away at the foundations of their own existence. There is something undeniably ironic about corporations pretending for a worldview that sees their very presence as evil. Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Coulors infamously proclaimed, we do have an ideological frame. Myself and Alicia Garza in particular are trained organizers. We are trained Marxists. We are supervised on sort of ideological theories, and I think what we really tried to do is build a mo movement that could be utilized by many, many black folks. Black Lives Matter DC openly advocated for creating the conditions for black liberation through the abolition of systems and institutions of white supremacy, capitalism, patriarchy, and colonialism. Yet corporate employees fear speaking up about the decency of America against racial preferences, against racial separatism. When corporations began posting black squares on Instagram to signify its support for BLM, employees often did the same, seeking safety in this symbolic virtue signaling. Failure to abide by the increasingly political diktats of the corporate overlords that may risk your job. What's more, Everyone lives in fear of retroactive cancellation. It's not merely about you posting something your employer sees. It's about a culture of snitching led by our media that may out a 10-year-old Facebook post that can get you canned from your job. In internet parlance, this has become known as resurfacing. 
the phenomenon where a person who doesn't like you very much finds a bad old tweet and then tells your employer hoping for a firing. It works. Resurfacing has become so common that NBC News ran a piece in 2018 guiding Americans on how to delete old tweets before they come back to haunt you, all of which is a recipe for silence. The nature of the business world requires adherence to top-down rules, the threat of expulsion, and fear of external consequences. Counterintuitively, then, the institutional pillar through thought, sorry, to guard most against the excesses of authoritarian leftism, crumbled quickly and inexorably once the stars aligned, and aligned they did. The Confluence of Interest To understand the corporate embrace of authoritarian leftism, it's necessary to first understand a simple truth. Corporations are not ideologically geared towards free markets. Some CEOs are pro-capitalism, others aren't. But all corporations are geared towards profit-seeking. That means, historically, corporate heads have not been averse to government bailouts when convenient. They've been friendly towards regulatory capture, the process by which companies write the regulations that govern them. They've embraced a hand-in-glove relationship with the government, so long that the relationship pays off in terms with dollars and cents. Government, for its part, loves the sort of stuff. Control is the name of the game. What's more, corporations are willing to work within the confines provided by the government, in particular in limiting their own liability. Since the 1960s, the framework of civil rights had been gradually extended and expanded to create whole new categories of legal liability for companies. The Civil Rights Act and its attendant corpus of law didn't merely outlaw governmental discrimination. It created whole new classes of established victim groups that had the power to sue companies out of existence based on virtually no evidence of discrimination. Those companies, fearful of lawsuits and staffed increasingly by members of the new ruling class, people who agreed with the idea that society could be engineered in top-down fashion by a special elect, were all too happy to comply with the de rigor opinions of the day. As Christopher Caldwell writes in The Age of Enlightenment, corporate leaders, advertisers, and the great majority of the press came to a pragmatic accommodation with what the law required, how it worked, the euphemisms with which it must be honored. Chief diversity officers and diversity compliance officers working inside companies carried out functions that resembled those of 20th century commissars. They would be consulted about whether a board meeting or a company picnic was sufficiently diverse. Second, it's important to note that businesses cater to their customer base, and in particular, their most passionate customer base. This provides a catalyst for renormalization via market forces. If enough customers can form an intransigent core dedicated to one ideology, they can direct corporate resources towards appeasing them. Studies show that, that we've become more polarized. More and more Americans now say they want their brands to make political stands. The, one research group found that 70% of American consumers say they want to hear brand stance on political and, and social issues. They just, this despite the fact that the bare majority of consumers 
say that brands only do so for marketing purposes. Some 55% of respondents claimed they would stop shopping with brands that didn't mirror their political preferences. Another 34% said that they would cut spending to such brands. Such desire for politics from corporations reside almost solely with the left. One study found that survey participants dinged a fake company, Jones Corporation, 33% for conservative politics, and they were 25.9% likely to buy its products, 25.3% more likely to buy from a competitor, and 43.9% less likely to want to work there. For companies perceived as liberal, no penalty accrued. As James R. Bailey and Hillary Phillips observed in Harvard Business Review, that a company engaged in conservative or liberal political activity did not affect Republicans' opinions of that company, but it did for Democrats. The 33% drop in opinion with Jones Corps engaged in a conservative agenda was entirely driven by participants who identified as Democrats. In the end, consumers thought that companies being liberal was merely normal business. Being conservative? That was punishable activity. Third, corporations seek regularity in their day-to-day operations. They seek to avoid controversy at nearly all costs, whether via legal liability, frustrated customers, or even staffers. Concerns about troublesome staffers used to manifest in what was called the company man. The man in the gray flannel suit, rigid in his outlook, cookie cutter in his type. Conservatives and liberals alike used to fret about the enforced conformity of corporate life. But corporations have now discovered the magic of quaffing from the well of wokeism by following the diktats of political correctness and hiring. They can escape censure for the corporate culture. After all, they have diversity TM, an amalgamation of various people of different races, genders, heights, ages, and hair colors, all of whom think precisely the same way and who raise holy hell if anyone different is discovered among them. Corporate heads are now petrified of their own woke staffers and cater to their every whim. Where old-style bosses used to tell quarrelsome, peacocking employees to sit down at their desk or find themselves standing on the breadlines, today's bosses seek to comply with every woke demand, up to and including days off for mental health during politically fraught times. Finally, all three of aforementioned factors, the legal structures that provide liability for violating the tenets of political correctness, a motivated and politicized customer base, and authoritarian staffing willing unwilling sorry to countenance dissent means that the true power inside corporations doesn't lie in their own hands at all it lies it lies with the media which can manipulate all of the above all it takes is one bad headline to destroy an entire quarter's profit margin corporations of all types are held hostage to a media dedicated to the proposition the business world is doing good only when it mirrors their priorities. It isn't hard for a staffer to leak a lawsuit to the New York Times, which will print the allegations without a second thought. 
It isn't difficult to start a boycott campaign on the back of a clip cut out of context and propagated through the Friends of Media Matters. It isn't tough to generate governmental action against corporations perceived to violate the standards of the authoritarian left, and so corporations live in fear. Okay, so we're going to stop there. I guess we'll pick up with the secret cowardice of corporate do-gooderism in that chapter, your new authoritarian boss. Um, let me see if there's anybody here who wants to take some calls. Hey, it's Miranda and Joshua. Does anybody want to talk tonight? Because otherwise I'll probably keep reading. <laughs> Until 8.15 p.m. <laughs> Let's see. So, there's no doubt people are getting fired for wokest politics. There's no doubt. The one thing I'm wondering is whether or not they are getting um, more or less woke as time goes on. I'm not wondering whether or not this is influenced by external campaigning by foreign cultures or even foreign companies because there is, there is some play into that. Because um, they're global companies. Um, Nike and other foreign nationals were kind of called on the mat for being woke with LeBron, but then supporting mass genocide and slavery in Xinjiang. So that was one of the glaring moral deficits of the the woke Black Lives Matter. You know, we're going to be, you know, raking people over the coals for slavery here in the United States that probably doesn't exist. It's theoretical, but it's not actual versus taking them to task for employing, you know, a communist state system that actually does employ slavery and forces people to work for substandard wages that no one will work for against their will and then pay them whatever they want or starve them, you know, and commit serial offenses against your human rights and exercise collective punishment. Okay. So that's what's going on with that. That's one of the things that I thought was a really glaring exception. Let me keep going back here. So it's a new month. We're just going to keep going with this day 94 of the 100 days of Colin. Let me see if I can get through this. Yeah, it's only like three pages. So I'm going to just read these three pages and then wrap it up. So this is the secret cowardice of corporate do-getterism. That corporate fear used to manifest as unwillingness to court controversy. But as the authoritarian left moved from silence is required to silence is violence, corporations went right along. They declared themselves subject to the authoritarian left structure and were consolidated by the board. 
That's most obvious in corporate Americans' willingness to engage in every leftist cause from climate change to nationalized health to pro-choice politics to Black Lives Matter on demand. In fact, corporate leaders have determined that they will clap loudest and longest for the authoritarians in hopes that they will be lined up for the guillotine. They know that capitalism is on the menu. They just hope that they'll be able to eke out a profit as chosen winners in the corporatist game. Centuries ago, governments used to charter companies and grant them monopolies. Today, corporations compete to be chartered by the authoritarian left. To be allowed to do business, exempted from the usual anti-capitalism of the left, the only condition mirror authoritarian leftist priorities, and that is absolutely true of the tech left in Silicon Valley. And that is why there's a monopoly there. So thus in December 2020, NASDAQ, a stock exchange covering thousands of publicly traded companies, announced that it would seek to require those listed on its exchange to fulfill diversity quotas on their boards. According to the Wall Street Journal, NASDAQ told the Securities and Exchange Commission that it would, quote, require listed companies to have at least one woman on their boards in addition to a director who is a, ra a racial minority or one who self-identifies as a lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, or queer. Sorry. Um, any company that did not do so would be called on the carpet by NASDAQ and made to answer for its lack of diversity or be suggested subjected to delisting they will delist your company from NASDAQ smaller companies would be hardest hit by the requirements but of course NASDAQ had no problem putting its boot on their neck the New York Stock Exchange similarly set up advisory council to direct diverse board candidates towards publicly traded companies Goldman Sachs stated it would not help roll out initial public offerings for companies without a diverse board member. The civil rights movement that once sought to treat people by individual merit rather than group identity has been turned completely on its head, and corporations which supposedly used to stand for the meritocracy are pushing that moral inversion. Many are doing so under the guise of so-called stakeholder capitalism. In the late 2020, Klaus Schwab Founder and, and executive chairman of the World Economic Forum laid out his support for what he called the Great Reset. Schwab explained in time that the COVID pandemic had pushed forward a key question. Will governments, businesses, and other influential stakeholders truly change their ways for the better after this, or will we go back to business as usual? Now, this was truly an odd question. Prior to the pandemic, the world economy was in the midst of a boom time. Unemployment rates in the United States had dropped to record lows. Economic growth was strong. What then was the impetus for corporations sorry, changing their ways for the better? Indeed, what did the better mean? According to Schwab, the problem was free markets. Free markets trade and competition create so much wealth that in theory they could make everyone better off if there was the will to do so, wrote Schwab. But that is not the reality we live in today. Free markets, he said, were creating inequality and climate change 
international democracy, quote, now contributes to societal discord and discontent. So he's anti-democratic. Yes, the time had come to move beyond the dogmatic beliefs that government should refrain from setting clear rules for the functioning of markets and that the market knows best. Instead, Schwab recommended World Economic Forum, guys. Schwab recommended the better economic system, rooted in not doing the bidding of shareholders, but acting in the interests of stakeholders, acting for the public good and the well-being of all, instead of just a few. What would metrics of success look like? Not profitability, no, no, no. The, ex- the success of companies would revolve around their gender pay gap, their diversity of their staff, the reduction of greenhouse gas emissions, the amount of taxes paid. Corporations would no longer be slow, so low-minded sorry, as to focus on producing goods and services at the best possible price for the most possible customers. Now corporations would be in the do-gooding business. This commitment to stakeholder capitalism versus shareholder capitalism had become increasingly popular in the business world. That's because it allows business leaders to retain control over the levers of power. They're platonic philosopher kings sitting atop vast empires but acting for the benefit of the masses without being answerable to lowly shareholders, those greedy investors who have actually put their own savings and faith into the company. Such nonsense is also pleasant to the ears of the authoritarian left, which can now, with the permission of the business community no less, dump regulations and commitment on on corporations in the name of so-called public good. No wonder Joe Biden has called for an end to the era of shareholder capitalism, suggesting his antipathy for the dreaded stock market. And the U.S. Business Roundtable agrees. In an August of 2019 statement, they explain, quote, while each of our individual companies serves its own corporate purpose, we share a fundamental commitment to all of our stakeholders. Putting shareholders second sounds kind and nice. It isn't. It's sinister. Placing an unnamed, uninvested interest in charge of corporations and placing corporate heads in in positions of untrammeled power so long as they please the true powers that be, members of the government, members of the press, and their their politically like-minded peers. Capitalism creates wealth and prosperity for all because it is rooted in fundamental truth. Your labor belongs to you, and you have no right to demand the products of my labor without giving me something I want in return. Stakeholder capitalism doesn't create wealth or prosperity. It just traffics an unearned moral superiority. Turning the engine of growth into a second quasi-government, unanswerable to those it's supposed it is supposed to represent in the first place and it simultaneously forwards the lie that corporations do seek to do business alone are somehow morally suspect. Okay, I'll leave it there. So we'll read the rest of this Your Authoritarian Boss from the Authoritarian Moment by one Ben Shapiro. We will resume that probably tomorrow. So I'm going to go ahead and end it here unless anybody wants to type in a comment no okay great so this is it this is the end of day 94 of 100 days of colin from the unsanction your mind server reading series thank you for joining us thanks for listening before you go hit the subscribe button remember that callers are welcome 
Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.